Heroes get remembered. Here's the windup. Legends never die. Fastball hits deep to right. This could be it. Way back there. Oh, Welcome to Hardball. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Major League Baseball's history in first person. Conversations that span almost 20 years. It is 9.46 p.m. With the men who saw and made that history. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Many of whom are no longer with us. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Stories from the 1930s. To the 21st century. This is Hardball. Dad, you want to have a catch? Welcome into Hardball. My name is Chris Domino, and this is our continued trek through the history of the major leagues, one conversation at a time. If you are new to Hardball, if the name of today's guest was the reason you found us and eventually hit the play button, I hope you go back and listen to previous episodes. Keep this in mind. These are one-on-one conversations that go beyond the actual name of the guest and the teams that he actually played for. There's a very good chance you will hear the name of a player from your favorite team, if not your favorite player himself. Truth be told, while there is a general direction each time I have sat down with these gentlemen, each becomes its own separate entity in terms of what direction they go, who we speak of, and what becomes the chapters of each of these conversations. If you've listened to a few of these already, thank you for coming back. My ask of you is to please hit subscribe, which ensures that every time a new episode gets posted, you'll be made aware of it. If you have a second, I would also love if you could actually rate Hardball. That's the star thing. And if you have a full-blown minute, I would appreciate if you would be willing to write a review if you listen on Apple or iTunes. As I've said, I've been told that helps get the word out to even more people. And, of course, let's not forget, there's still the good old-fashioned tell-a-couple-of-friends about this podcast thing still in play. Very quickly, it has never been more evident that these gentlemen, the ones we only saw on our TVs as kids or young adults or never saw play except in old clips, are an actual resource of both baseball history and social history. Today's guest very much fits that dynamic. With the passing of Hank Aaron, and I spoke to today's guest on the day that the news broke, an overwhelming reality has hit us. In less than one year's time, we have lost 10 Hall of Famers. And it started with a close friend and teammate of today's guest. Others whose names you know, and some you might not, have also passed. And with them, left stories not told enough, or worse, perhaps untold, lying on the ground. I'm on a new mission to catch up with some of these men now before it's too late. Look at the list of previous episodes as we approach number 30, and you will be hit by this cold, hard fact. The written word is fantastic, and as I've noted before, there have been more words written about baseball than every other sport combined. But you cannot replace oral history, tone, tenor, nuance, emotion. That, in a nutshell, is why we are here today. Thanks for believing by being here that this matters at least a little bit to you as well, as a baseball fan and more. This is the story of a hometown kid makes good. From the sandlots of Detroit in the shadows of Brick Stadium, which became known as Tiger Stadium to our generation, William R. Horton made a name for himself, a national sandlot champion on a team with future teammate with the Tigers, Bill Freehand, who we'll talk about later. He caught the attention of Tiger Brass, who then signed him upon high school graduation. Because of the timing of this conversation, Willie will talk about his relationship with Hank Aaron, how it helped shape the man more than the player. We will certainly talk about 1967 the year they didn't win the World Series, the year they didn't go to the World Series, the year in Detroit and the country more than the baseball season was utmost on his mind. 
And, of course, we will talk about that 1968 World Series championship and what it meant to Willie and the city, guys he played with, against, and what he continues to do today and why. And here's the last thing. I did something I've never done before with any episode of Hardball. Thought about it for a week or so and realized there were a few things that I didn't cover with him initially. So I called him back this morning. And you will hear a part two at the end of our initial conversation. So stick around because we will talk about Billy Martin and the closing of Tiger Stadium and Ernie Harwell and how Willie literally saved Al Kaline's life during a game in 1970. And lastly, will he find out what motivated Willie Horton, the man, to come out of retirement and become part of the game again? I'll finish with this. Willie Horton, the player, was very good. Willie Horton, the man, delivers, and you'll hear it at a Hall of Fame level here. Here's my time, twice as a matter of fact, Tiger great Willie Horton. And here's Willie Horton. Round ball right back off his hip. It's going to go for a hit to left score. That ties the World Series record going all the way back to 29. The Tigers now have scored 10 runs against the Cardinals and are sending their 15th man to the plate to also tie a record. Curveball hit hard out of the left field. in there for a base and Horton may have a shot at box. Here comes the throw. John Wood lets his goal and he runs over three and they got it. Pleasure to be speaking with this man today, Willie Horton, who, by the way, if you don't know, grew up in the Sandlots playing baseball in Detroit, who, of course, went on to achieve an incredible career with the Detroit Tigers. Uh, an honor and a pleasure to have him join us today on Hardball. Uh, Willie, how are you? I'm doing just fine. It's at this moment, a little sad day because uh, one of my lifetime heroes, a person taught me how to live my lifestyle on the field and off the field past this morning, Hank Aaron. Yeah, I, I do want to start with that, if you don't mind. Um, for those who might not know about the relationship and why, not only is baseball sad, but there are certain individuals in and around the game, I'm assuming, and I know a little bit of the story, such as you. Can you explain how the relationship started with Hank and how important it was to you? Well, he taught me how to live my life for others behind me, and things he went through, he, he passed the torch down to me where I try to set example for people behind me like Whitaker and other black ball players and other white players. It, and it wasn't no color in our eyes, but, but it, things that we had to go through in life, it's just the way it was at that time. But uh, watching this uh, uh, TV this morning, I've seen they mentioned the things he was going through and remind me where he helped me got ready where I I remember my career starting in Aberdeen, North Dakota, up in Duluth, Minnesota, in that league, the Northern League, and and we had we had to stay in different hotels from the white player. I had to eat different, and but he said where you came part of that area where you kind of help improve for the for the future. What's going on now and in the day that how we live our life. And but one thing he taught me about character kept a smile on his face, never uh, never leave home, take my my private life to my job. And what that does, it taught you about how you become family, you know, and you live through faith, family, and friends. And that's what life is about. And that's what Henry Aaron gave me as a young man. I remember he used to tease me a lot. Uh, I used to call me, you know, I, I, my first four or five years in the big league, the Tiger was tough. And uh, over here at the integration, and he used to call me twice a week or so. And then, Actually, introduced me to Ernie Banks and, and other guys in the National League. And he used to tease me, 
Why do you sign in that Republican League? Why do you sign over in the Democrat League? And over there were majority black and Spanish players. You know, used to tease me. But, but from life, I learned to grow, to try to help what's behind me and then pass the torch on and, and carry yourself and give you inner strength. And I remember uh, we talked a few years back after retirement and, and I was talking about my career, and he said, I said, well, you know, I'm blessed how much he gave me strength. I remember after my second operation, my Achilles operation, they said I might never play no more. But I, with the inner strength and how to go and try to set this up, I played 14 more years. And so I'm very blessed. Uh, uh, I'm so proud of what I did off the field, what I learned from him, how to carry myself beyond the field. It's, uh, it's, and I try to pass that on the young generation. It's, it's just important what you do off the field, what you do on the field, become a good pro athlete. Well, I will also tell you that the thing that's really impressive is there were, and I know, I don't care what anybody says, if you think because Jackie came up in 47 and Larry Doby in 47 and then Roy Campanella and Don Newcomb, if you think mm-hmm. in the early 60s it was a party to be an African-American player going <laughs> around playing minor league baseball, you don't mm-hmm. know enough. The thing that I like is you – just even what you've just said now, but the relationship that you have with Hank and what you what you got out of that is, I know the other stuff happened, but I would choose mm-hmm. to actually remember and speak more about the things that helped push me forward, not only in my career, but also gave me the presence of mind to understand the importance of if a player needs a shoulder, if you can say something to help a player's career, uh, that was instilled in you early enough by one of the greatest players in the game on top of everything else. So not well, only does it stick, you, but it's important. I tell you, it's very important. But then they teach you. I remember in double A ball in uh, Asheville, North Carolina. I think that was Pittsburgh double A team, and uh, we had a, a extra inning game and a night game, and and, and had curfew and stuff like that in that in, in North Carolina, and uh, and and used to drop me off. And I used to walk to the Black Hotel, and I remember this one particular night, uh, Mickey Stanley. I love him today for that. He said, I'm going to go with you. He walked with me up to the Black Hotel, and and uh, they wouldn't give him a room. And from that day on, we stayed in the lobby. From that day on, I've got involved in trying to make a difference in everybody, not only black people's life and other ballplayer life. From that day on, from Mickey Stanley, for the example, it's just where you at at the time and how you approach things. But it was tough. And But uh, if I had to do it over again, I would do the same thing over again. If I had to go through what I had to go through, and I think the good Lord meant for me to go through that to try to set example, and but to having people like Hank Aaron as the pyramid of other heroes, Mays, Ernie Banks, and and you can just keep naming the uh, 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 Hank or Frank Howard and other and these white players in your life to help you grow your character and your career. It's it's, it's you know I I, I can't ask for no more than what I got today, and I'm. And we bless, and, and me and my wife talk all the time. Right now, we bless with 21 grandkids, 23 great grandkids, and wow. two great great. <laughs> so, so we had. I had a great. It was rough, but we had a great life, great career, and we enjoying our life with our grandbabies now. I, I want to talk about your career in a second, but there's one other thing. When you found out, maybe after the fact, or maybe you knew what Hank was going through with the letters that were being sent, and how they had to mm-hmm. have people in the building and the protection, and Hank just said, mm-hmm. "No, I'm gonna." I, I it'll circle back pre-1974 when Hank broke the record to 1968 and what you experienced in the city of Detroit with the social aspect of what was going on in the country. Did you know that Hank was dealing with the things he was dealing with before and leading up to the record? 
we learned through that and other athletes at the time, during that time, uh, uh, through the uh, social activities going on, Richie Allen went through way more than anybody. Uh, people kind of forget what he went through over in Philadelphia. But then they taught us how to fight the ballot, but knowing that here a great ball player in our life, and now we playing here in the, Rich in the National, I'm in the American League, but we learn how to fight that. We go home, we have the same stuff going on in our town, but, but we got through it because Hank. And I got a, something there in my recreation room. I used to carry this poster, and I put things together when he was going at the record. And I got a big poster that I said about five feet long that I used to travel. When I was playing baseball, I used to take things out of the paper when he did something, put on that. And they used to say, well, you in the, you in the, in the big league. Why are you doing it? Because he was my hero that taught me how to handle things that I had to go through. And, and I think that's – people don't realize – Beyond the field, I love some of the things I saw on him earlier today looking at uh, Major League Baseball. People don't realize that was a great program Harold Rillen and and, and MBL did on Hank. Tell what type of person this man is all about. Even more than a a great home run hitter. He was a great human human being that he cared about everyone. What this man done, he taught us. Just like in the 67 ride, I that's a, and today, that's one of the reasons I used to say, why did I go out and try to do what I did in the sixth MRI? Because leadership that I've been been seeing Hank Aaron going through, that I did, but it wasn't no big deal to me. I did what I thought was right for everybody to try to bring peace. So, let, so for so people I'm, who don't I'm know, the, Willie, for ahead. people who don't know that story, for younger fans or people who aren't aware of what was going on in 1967 and ultimately the celebration in 1968. When you say what you did, can you explain actually what we're talking about in terms of proximity and where you found yourself? Well, I found myself with this ride started out in 67, and HBO especially did something early about that, sitting on fire. But I left, uh, we had a doubleheader with the Yankees, and and uh, second game, they shut us down, told us to go home for our safety and start a ride. And the only thing I think about, I got in my, I put my regular street clothes in my bag and got in my car and went to the middle of the ride and got on top of the hood and and then try to bring peace. And I, I'm more nervous today talking about it. At the time, you did things and and I and I look back, people like Hank Aaron and, and the man upstairs, the reason I did it. To me, it wasn't no big deal. I did what I thought was right for everybody. But and from that day on. I got with back down there a couple other days up there before we resumed playing in Baltimore. It was a terrible time doing across the country during that time. And then in '68, that's when we won the World Series. But in April the '68, you know, they started. We started our game. Dr. King got killed April the third. So there's a lot of troubled things going on in that time. But I think Hank Aaron gave people like myself, Tony Olivo. Richie Allen, other black ball players, Spanish players, the, the, the inner strength to get through that and try to go out and try to help the cause. Willie, was there a city that needed a World Series victory more than Detroit? For everything that had gone on for that extended period of time, do you think it, it almost, if it can be fitting for a certain city and a team to win a World Series, um, was it? I think, I think, you know, during that time, people don't realize when we won the World Series, the, 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 all the newspapers on strike. 
we had a great voice. We very fortunate and blessed to have Ernie Howell, one of the great announcers of all time, Hall of Fame announcer Ernie Howell, and and bring peace to the help us heal the city. But I see each by us what we did in '68. I seen the ballpark get more integrated, and people start setting together, start cheering together, start coming together. And I've seen that grow from that day, from the 67 ride to 68. But uh, I think uh, I always said that the good Lord put our team here to help heal the city. Mm-hmm. And I believe that to the day. And I think it's a meaning to all of that. And I've seen other things happen. I, it, in all sports in Detroit area, our sports team, for some reason, always rise to the cage and help bring people together. I, I know this year, earlier in the year, we talked about now 10 Hall of Famers. It's a ridiculous number with Hank's passing today. But Al Kaline, mm-hmm. um, I, I know, oh, let me, yeah. let me, I know, you and I spoke a couple of times after Mr. Kaline's passing, and, and I know that, you know, these things, some are a little bit closer to home. Unfortunately for you, this, this 10 has been bookended by Al Kaline and, and Hank Aaron and a whole bunch of mess in between. Well, I tell you, you know, we lost to like sixth grade Hall of Fame, but you get back to Al Kaline, Al Kaline goes back to me and my life when I was, I guess, in junior high school, 13, 14 years old, and I ended up, you know, signing with the Tiger and having all them years with him, and we grow closer and work together until this day all these years. And But Al Kaline was like a father figure, uh, my hero and all of that, but when I, I go back to Al time, he first signed with the Tiger. People don't realize Al never played in the minor league, mm-hmm. and uh, and he was our hero for us black players and white players in our community because he was our age. Al was eighteen, seventeen years old, and that was he signed and stayed with the Tigers in the following year. I think he won the batting tower, and uh, but through the years that uh, we grow close, and I remember and. And I forget the name, the year in New Fourth uh, of July in Milwaukee. I saved Al Kaline's life. I got his teeth marks on my wrist today. That I tell people that's the best autograph and permanent <laughs> autograph <laughs> anybody can have. Of Al Kaline, I have his teeth marks on my wrist. That's but getting his tongue out of his throat. And uh, but uh, through the years, uh, I get very emotional to get down. I still have tears each and every day since Al left. And and with uh, Hank today, it just bang more tears. But the tears is great celebration for the past work that these people in my life gave me. Whereas I kind of build my character through him, how I them to uh, uh, more that how I care myself. I, I do want to ask you about those two years specifically, '67 and '68. When you taste yes. it, when you're close, uh, how important is it? Because it's funny, we here in Atlanta, it's the World Series in 1995, Hall of Fame players, Maddox, mm-hmm. Chipper, uh, Smoltz, Glavin, Bobby Cox. Mm-hmm. You don't ever want to say only one because it's really hard to win. But I have asked, and all of these guys have been honest, people such as yourself, when you have a World Series ring, uh, when you look back at it later in life, how great it feels to know that you experienced that with a group of guys that you start in spring with. And the game is different for a lot of reasons. But to have a world's yeah. title, to know that experience with a group of men, I'm I'm so happy when I talk to guys who have at least won one of these things. Well, well, when you grow up, dude, like in our particular time in six days, the majority of our guys came through the organization. And uh, we learned to grow and heal each other from Tiger Town in Lakeland, Florida, 
And but then the unsung hero that the team added, like Eddie Matthews mm-hmm. and such great ball player, which Atlanta great Hall of Famer, he was added to help put ice and where we got us over the over the hump in '68. Uh, but uh, just think about it's something that you cherish and you have fellowship together. Right today, our sixth day, we had our fifth anniversary about two years ago, just before the, this, uh, this COVID. Uh, our fifth anniversary, and and uh, say seventy five percent of us still living. And uh, since then, we have lost Al Kaila and a couple other guys, but we still with great members and all us cherish that to the day. And that's something that nobody ever could take away from you. You have the, uh, Willie Horton, Al Kaline, uh, Eddie Matthews, and other great Norm Cat and Gage Brown, but you have so many unsung heroes that is part of your life then and now and forever. And that's a great honor to say it's a, the fellowship that you cherish and the rest of your life. You have great respect for the game and its history. So in 1967, when you see what Bob Gibson and the Cardinals do in that 67 right. year, you guys get a chance to face him. Now, no interleague play. I don't know if you had a relationship with Bob. Bob wasn't certainly looking to make friends with some of his own teammates, let alone other guys in baseball. But do you remember what it was like knowing that you were going to play the Cardinals after well, you had just seen? I first met Bob Gilson to go back a year before, like in spring training. And, you know, just, you know, you play on a play down there. We played in Winter Haven. I didn't make didn't have to go on a road trip to St. Pete because I played on the day before in Winter Haven against Boston. But I wanted to go. Because Bob Gibson was going to start off pitching against us that day. And I made the trip, and I went out there, and, and, and Al Lane Field at the time, the visit clubhouse was up on the stand, and the corner kind of walked across the sidewalk to their clubhouse. And so I waited until I, Bob got through warming up, getting ready to start against us. I'm just waiting, and <clears throat> he keeps coming. I'm excited. I'm going to get his autograph. I said, can I have your autograph? He had in the ball. He took it. And he looked at me, I had my uniform. He said, what position do you play? Outfield. I'm not going to say the words he told me. He gave me that ball back, and now I run in the clubhouse. <laughs> and I told Gates Brown and them guys what went on, and Gates them said, you was just a fool to make the trip because you played yesterday. But but then in life, I played against him in the All-Star game, and and in the World Series, you know, he, uh, he struck out our first game in the World Series in 68. Uh, it struck out 17. I'm number 17, but I think that day, I'll never forget that, that particular day. Norm Cass came back in the first inning, I think. And after that, uh, Norm said, you know, this is going to be a short day, guys. <laughs> Bob Gibson would have beat anybody that day in the sun. He had his – only thing I remember, Bob telling Tim McCarter, get back there and catch the ball. Tim trying to tell him, look at the scoreboard. But then you grow, and, and I found out later that Bob didn't ever socialize with position players to after retirement, but he wanted the nicest person I met after retirement, and he told me that he could get traded and all that. But but during that time, you can find a, a guy that take that ball and go out there and combat him and Bob Gibson. And, uh, and he was a good hitter. People don't realize, I don't understand how good an athlete. I think he could have signed a – Colin uh, Gold tried mm-hmm. to try to sign him to play basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was just a great athlete. But uh, them, th- them things like that happen in your life and to me today, that I cherish them things. I go down in my rec room and 
you're talking about enjoying life alone. I enjoy because the good Lord gave me a great memory of the of them times and the moments that we go through, and, and and that yes, it's for me, but it's for for the family. When I remember I said that that some faith, family, and friends. That's what all of this is all about with baseball is a brotherhood. Willie, I, I know you've over the you know handful plus of years, you've certainly dealt with some health issues, and I know that you have great respect for being able to do this and, and God willing go down to spring training on time. You still love the game, and I do think that one of the reasons I not only wanted to catch up with you but speak to people from the generation and, and even a little bit before your time in the major leagues is the storytelling ability of – I believe, look, I'm not trying to take a shot, but I've said it out loud, so I'll say it again. Mm-hmm. 20, 25, 30 years from now, if I speak to players who are playing today, quite honestly, I don't think they're going to be as good storytellers. I don't think the, I had to work in the off season because that's what I had to do. I had to deal with this, as you said, segregation. It's not denouncing today's players, but I think that you guys lived completely different lives than maybe today's players, and the pressures were a little bit different. It's tough to be a major leaguer. I get that. You know that better than me. But I don't know 30 years from now, if I speak to the current player, they're going to have the stories or maybe what you just talked about. You have a rec room, and when you go sit in there, I don't know if it brings you back to when you were younger or if it, you know, there's something I think about your generation, and and I've spoken to players who played in the 30s and 40s. There's something that's a little bit different about the way they speak about the game. I'm not sure what it is. I can't can't tell you I can put it into words, but it's different. We all live through once you put and I think I can explain my life a little better, maybe you can understand that. I think we all got to learn to live to that brotherhood we all belongs to and uh, and, and put on a, a major league uniform. And that that in every clubhouse, not only in the major league and the minor league, that Willie Horton been in, my uniform pants only go on the floor, but my uniform should always be hanging. I, every clubhouse man would tell you that. I've been never letting my uniform shirt ever hit the floor. That's the respect I have putting on a uniform. And and reading, I learned to live that life. Just think about millions and millions of the kids which they had one day. Right. One day, and I think if we can, if I had my wish today, and I think furthers to the young generation. It's a different time, but I wish they get more into the passion of brotherhood where they can have the same type of story that one day they retire like I'm sitting now and talk about the same thing. And I think further to them, I think of the way the game and got so much in the marketing. And I think game and change where you spend, like I spend the majority of my career with the Tigers. And I, and 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 I, when I did leave and go other places, I took what I experienced and shared and lived my fellowship with young players. I came more like a a playing coach, meaning I could extend my career for several more years. I think if they get into that, I think they have a long career. But I think life and pushed them now. I think in the marketing and way it's set up, it's pushed them when they short changing themselves. The love and respect that Willie Horton and so many of people in the past have. Not saying we think we think you, we better than them or they better than us. It's the same. I think it's just different time. I also I think, think, yeah, I think the camaraderie, whether it's the clubhouse. You know, I, I've been doing this 27 years, and people have said, "What's the biggest change you've seen?" I said, "Well, the easy one is the economics." But what I also see is 
uh, players post game. I mean, I, I've said it. I've sat down and had beers with players post game to just talk about mm-hmm. baseball, to talk about things. That doesn't happen anymore. The player interaction is a little bit different. It doesn't mean they don't like each other. It doesn't mean any of that stuff. But road trips were a little bit different. Yeah, I think the market it pushed all of them from there. They got more other things on their mind. Mm-hmm. But Dick, then see, I didn't never when ball season came to from say say February through October. It's all baseball business. I never I understand when I went to spring training when I left going to the uh, from the hotel for in the morning to train. I didn't wait to go there and train. I know exactly what I had to go there and do. Same thing with the. I don't wait to go to the ballpark and get ready to play a game. When I leave home, I already know what the game is all about. That comes, you learn to respect into people and respect guys that you plan against. I think that's what is missing a little bit now because I think we repeat and give them so much information and we babysitting. And I think if we get back to just some of the things I'm saying, like when I leave my home in the afternoon and say, you the Yankees, I know who I'm facing. I don't need no book to tell me. I have my own book. I had When I when I retired, I had two books on every picture that I faced, and all that come from respect in every picture. I had a book. And so I learned them guys, and I learned to respect that this is how you come a good hitter because the game is about the W. It's winning. And but see, you can lose and still be a winner. And I think sometimes, in certain, in so many different ways, you lose. Now you don't understand that you're still a winner. What you put into trying to win. So how, I think it's just them little bitty things like that is missing now. How would you summarize your career if you look back at it now? Because certainly, um, it was a hell of a run, no doubt about it. The mm-hmm. fact that it was in Detroit for as many years when you played, as I said, Sandlot baseball in Detroit has to make it even better. But if I was going to ask you. Summarize your career as best you can about what you got out of it. Did you get more out of yourself than maybe you thought possible? Did it exceed what it is you were hoping for? And what do you hope people think about when they hear the name Willie Horton? Well, Willie Horton, I want people to understand I uh, I left everything on the field. I learned to play for the fans. And if you and when I learned through the fans, it gave me strength when people said I couldn't do it, I could do it. So I learned to play my whole game through the fan. When I came out of retirement, when I was managing Venezuela, I came out of retirement as a playing manual over there and played three years in Seattle. That's all about the fans taught me that I still could play this game. And I left it all on the on the field. I know when I finally retired after Seattle, that I know I gave everything I could to the game. And the game is about the fans. And and that's where I learned my career. But I'm one when they look back at Willie Horton, they said he he's not only was a great ball player, but he's a good person off the field. And things that I do in the community, as my retirement, I'm still continue doing that. And I enjoy what the game gave me opportunity to work with military people through the years through Bob Hope, and to the day I'm still working with them. And so I've been blessed. Uh, I've been blessed with a statue. I've been blessed with monument. I've been blessed with streets. Hmm. I've been blessed so much. But but the important thing to the fans, I like to thank them. Willie, let's finish up with this. And letting them, you know, they didn't have to let me come in in their back back, back yard and a workplace and made me part of their family. I was part of a family to them and get back down to that 
in three words I told you early. Mm-hmm. Faith, family, and friends. Let me That's ask you this. About. I, I've said this before on this, uh, and I've been doing these conversations for a little over 20 years. Phil Rizzuto was the first guy I asked, and I don't know mm-hmm. why. But I asked mm-hmm. him, and I've asked a bunch of players since, do you ever dream at night of being a young player? Do you have baseball dreams where you're playing or there's something like has that happened to you oh, i do that a lot now <laughs> that's what you that's when i say i'm uh, and dream is right and i'm thank god that you have great memories mm-hmm. oh man i just had a dream about i was still playing baseball last week <laughs> so i'm saying that's the love that i have for these games but i learned to do that to give it all and leave it all on the field for the fans if you don't do that i don't think you're gonna have these dreams this, i know i left an empty tank to gas that yeah. means i'm enjoying i'm enjoying now working with the tigers and being involved and giving them advice and and, and see coaches and give them advice with the young players as it i enjoy it as a as a player the the thing that hurts players uh, and Rizzuto was the one, the first one. Again, it was just something in his voice, and I've asked other people about it. I think the thing that really hurts players as they get a little bit older, as you mentioned, Al's gone. You can't pick up the phone. You won't see him down in Lakeland. Hank is gone. There might not be a moment mm-hmm. where you run into him. And I and I do think that there's that you're so happy for the experiences. And as you said, thank goodness your memory is what it is, and you're able mm-hmm. to, to tell the stories. But there becomes that moment where you go, oh, gosh. There is a finality to to not being able to see and talk and have sort of a laugh and a beer with with these guys ever again. I I think it's the one thing that we get afraid of growing old. This morning, Cecil Phillips called me by Hank. Pops, you heard about Hank died. Another one of our soldiers. Mm -hmm. That said, is all. It's a soldier. We all soldiered, but we got to learn how to pass the torch on. And when I told him to Cecil, I said, Cecil. I'm just grateful that I could pass the torch on to you. You got to keep passing down the way and with and to this young generation. And that's the relationship that I hope that the the Marlin players will get back where they can pass that torch of history. They can sit back and, and have this type of conversation like you and I happen right now. Well, uh, it's been an honor and a pleasure. I know we've been trying to do this. It's been a long time since I saw you down in Lakeland. I, I Lakeland's a really yeah. special place. Uh, because well, I think the respect I hope for those to be, guys. The good Lord willing, be leaving uh, here on the field. My grandson there in Newtown, and one on, on flying and, and drive me and his grandmother back down to Florida. Great, and and I look forward to not only catching up with you again, but hopefully doing it in person. And I know Lakeland is a place that's really special. Uh, I I've made this observation. There were so many, and and it certainly is diminished. We just talked about losing all these baseball players. There were so many World War II veterans. And, and and Vietnam and Korean veterans at those games in Lakeland. I, I The first time I went, it was what really struck me. Look, I knew it was historical. It had been around for a very long time. But, yeah, all of the people from the Michigan area and a little bit beyond that had moved down to Florida, you'd see the military hats and and, and where they served. It was, it was unbelievable as something beyond a baseball experience. Well, that's what it's all about. And uh, I was fortunate through my early, through my real through racial thing and Ernie Howell introduced me to Hank Greenberg. Hank Greenberg got me more into Jackie, and Jackie got me in more than Hank, and them got me involved with Bob Hope, and I'm still working with the military. And we and right today, I bring a group of family to spring training from Fort Bennett every year, and I still work with them. And maybe one day, we, we soon, I go back to the graduation of Fort Bennett and hope after all this stuff over, I'll let you know maybe you'll 
attend this because we still have events down there for the young people and for that military in Fort Bennett. And uh, actually, I just went in the Military Hall of Fame behind General Powell a couple of years ago. Good for you, sir. And I'm sure that's as big an honor as anything you've actually done oh, on and off the field. That they got up on the state of Michigan, this billion-dollar museum they built on the state of Michigan flag, Willie Horton, a monument in the ground at Fort Bennett. I could hear the pride in your voice. Look, we will do this again. When this when this oh, mess when this mess finally ends, and I know that you come and to I Atlanta. And I you, if, I, if my grandson come and we leave here, I'm going to stop in Atlanta overnight with him before we go on down the floor. And I'll give you a call. Dinner's on me, sir. Dinner's on me right. once you get down here. Right. Th- Willie, and thank God you very much. And, and have a prayer for Hank Aaron's family for me, yes. please. Yes, and God bless you, Willie. We really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thanks, Willie. Go get him, Tiger. Wow. <laughs> Series bound and picking up steam. Go get on Tiger. There'll be joy in Tiger Town. We'll sing you songs when the Bengals bring the pennant home where it belongs. We're all behind our baseball team. Go get them. Detroit Tigers. Go get them, Tigers. Boy, this is unprecedented. I got done speaking to Willie Horton a couple of weeks ago, but I wanted to call him back about a couple of things very quickly because I did not get a chance to ask and answer. Uh, Willie, thanks again for the time. I really do appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You've got to tell me about the World Series throw Lou Brock out at the plate move. Before anybody <laughs> else gives me the details, I want to hear it firsthand. Well, well, doing your homework. Uh, you know, I think what, what made that whole play with Lou Brock being successful has brought base stealing back to the game, and he and he, he picked up bad habits. And I read in the in a report about from midsummer on, and in the, in the National League that everybody you know ball hit to the outfield, he'd be on first base, and he used to trot to third base because Lou Brock running, they just lobbed the ball back, and same way he did when he's on second, and uh, he break his stride and, and kind of float into home plate and but then the guy on deck circles the key and the, and the and the third base coach well they don't need to tell him that's luke brock running and he picked up bad habits and and then then been in the game that particular game we talked him out and i throwed him out it was like two plays in one and knowing who he could have been somebody else running that it was a do or die play mm-hmm. that we had to keep the guy off second but but we, by him, picked up bad habits. Free on freehand, know, know the same thing I know. And he saw it break his stride, and he thought the ball came through, and we got him out at home plate. But we, but we had to keep the guy off second base. It was two plays and one set up for that play. Then, and that's how I tell guys: you got to know the, know what you're doing before you go on the field. Know your job before you get to the ballpark. I I think the other thing that really has to be pointed out is. We always talk about, hey, it's this home run. It's Maserowski. It's Joe Carter. It's Carlton Fisk. There are home runs that sort of take over in the World Series. Then you have pitching performances, Bob Gibson, Sandy Koufax, those types of moments. But there are little plays, and I mean just good, basic, fundamental plays that really can turn an entire World Series. Well, I always say young song hero plays. Mm -hmm. Uh, It takes 25 minutes to win the World Series. The majority of the time, home runs don't win World Series. 
Every now and then you might crack it open, but it, most times fundamentally guys who forced to make the less mistakes and fans I call Billy Billy Martin baseball. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, the idea got, got, the idea of turning a double play, you know, in the fourth exactly. inning of a baseball game could mean the baseball game. Oh, all oh, all of that come to play and 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 if you check new history of time, I think uh majority of the time it'd be it'd be the unsung hero majority of the time when World Series that, that people don't that don't play that much through the summer. I, I'm going to ask about and Billy Martin. People don't realize, let me go not cut you off, Eddie Matthew with us, he was a big key guy plays, and, and then L. Ruff Face and Johnny Wyatt. People don't even mention them guys in the six-state World Series. But them guys, we couldn't have did all of that if them guys, we wouldn't have picked them guys up. You know, veteran. We had a very young club, but we picked up guys like Eddie Matthews and Johnny Wyatt. Elrod Faith from Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. So you know what I'm saying them, them the and them the type Johnny Padre from the Dodgers the year before, uh, Larry Sherry. So all that guys come of the makeup of winning the World Series. Although we had majority of a uh, young team came from Tiger Town, and, but we had the makeup the veteran that that got us got us you know made us understand what keep having fun. You got to have fun to win. We didn't go out there and say, well, we we forgot. We never forgot. We know how to play the game. It's interesting. You don't win a World Series without a full 25-man roster. And certainly over exactly. the course of the year, it's more than that. But I love the idea that you mentioned some of those gentlemen you did. Um, I, I've had the chance to speak to Larry Sherry and Johnny Padres. I missed Eddie Matthews. Oh, man. Yeah, but, but you need guys like that in the clubhouse to have to either keep it loose at times or to tighten it up a little bit. Look, let's be honest. Young guys might get a little bit too loose at times, and you want the veterans there to let you know that you do not want to piss away your opportunity to be a champion. Well, you, you think about it. i never forget our first day working out in St. Louis. Me, Jim Norfolk, and Stanley were sitting in the clubhouse, everybody outside getting ready to work out. And and Matthew came in there, and he looked at us and said, what's wrong with you guys? Then we looking at each other like somebody on a nail us to the damn stool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he said, hey, what's wrong with you? And we started talking. He said, you play between – with y'all play between all these fans every night. Go on out there and enjoy the game. And see, just little things like that keeps you going. You know what's interesting? I think young guys keep guys like that in the game, too. Because, look, Eddie Matthews, I've heard stories, kind of tough to be around at times. Eddie Eddie was kind of no-nonsense. The idea that later on in his career, he was throwing that at you guys. You know, older guys sometimes need the infusion of energy that comes from young guys. Exactly, exactly. Well, you come, as you grow in, a, as I did, as you grow older in, in professional sports, you become like a plan manager and coach. Mm-hmm. Still a player, you become a coach and a manager as 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 to support cast to what you, to the staff. And and if you don't get that, there's a chance you're out of the game a year or two sooner than you should be because people then say, well, this guy doesn't really bring us any extra extra added benefit in the clubhouse. Exactly, that's true. That's yeah. true. So to, that's real quick, true. I want to go through some things very quickly. I mentioned something yeah. to you the other night. Mayo Smith might be the least known, least talked about World Series winning manager that I know of in the last 50 or 60 years. There's nobody who knows that Mayo Smith was the manager of the Tigers in 1968. You told me the Mickey Stanley move to shortstop when Al Kaline is coming back. That really is an incredible move with about nine games left that worked as well as any move like that in the game's history. Well, I tell you, you know, it's something that, you know, it's just one of them bad years for Al. He looked like he got hurt about every so often. 
he didn't play that much through the summer. And, you know, we get there and we won, and and that's when Eddie Matthew came in and, and talked to Mel about let the young guys play, and we went on and, and clinched it. And then, but then at the end, we know who's a, who's our hero on our team and a role model, of the tiger, the, the, you know, follow of our team is Al Kaline. We had to figure out, and we talked about we had to figure out Al getting in the, in the lineup. Mm-hmm. And we kind of set it up. Uh, you know, talking about it, the main Stanley, Norfolk, and, and then Ray ordered the shortstop. And uh, we talked about it and kind of set it up through Wally Mose that I hit and coach because him and Mel Smith used to hang out most of, at the game. He said, well, Mel, maybe you go to Mel. So Stanley was the best athlete on the team. He the only one could probably did that. And Stanley come in and play short and so Al can play, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and I'll never forget Main Stanley and Norfolk going over who's pitching and all that. And, it's, and Norfolk said, well, Stanley, you, I see they got all these right in pitching and made a big, good move. Stanley said, oh, you so-and-so, so-and-so. But <laughs> we, we all raised up together at Tiger Town. We get on each other like that. But but we kind of put that seed through our hitting coach, mm-hmm. the approach, post Mel, and we had a, a, a meeting in Washington, D.C., and Mel it was funny because he 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 had a meeting to tell us what he gonna do and and, and the only thing in the meeting he messed up when he looked at Ray Alder. Ray Alder, one of the best glove man ever been around. He said he, he never hit that much, but he saved you tons of games. Mm-hmm. And he said, "Oh hell, Ray, you don't hit anyway. You don't worry about it. Oh. <laughs> you know." <laughs> and so you know stuff like that. Yeah. But we had that type of team that we could do that. You know we. People forgot we had Lenny Green came over from Minnesota to help us get there. He just went on the roster in the Min- so that's what winning is all about, yeah. and 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 that's what I try to talk to a lot of people about now. Let's let's talk about some of the unsung heroes that we kind of pushed them aside. They yeah. should be mentioned in our history of baseball. Well, they're the guys who they're not going to have the statue built. They're not going to have the number on the wall. They're not going to have. Quite honestly, maybe a phone call like this to talk to you about your career in that team. But I love the idea that this many years later, I mean, it's this many years later. Now we're talking about 50 plus years. You're taking the time and the effort to mention people that you know, without them, you don't have a ring on that finger. No, that's that's true. I mean, just think about you you play and we always came up in the era that some of your greatest people like Ernie Banks never got a World Series ring. So, so we kind of the older guy kind of educate us through the history of the game, make us go out there and play and enjoy the game for the fans. You know, you know, have pride of that uniform you put on because right. this great ball player like Ernie Banks and so many other Hall of Fame never got a World yep. Series ring. There's a story that's certainly well known in Detroit, but maybe not as well known outside of Detroit. You are credited with literally saving Al Kaline's life during a baseball game, are you not? Well, I remember that. I think it was Fourth of July we in Washington D.C. But I learned that in boxing as a kid, he learned first day how to get the mouthpiece out of a young man's mouth if he helped to swallow his his mouthpiece in the ring. And 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 it and Jim North and Al Kaline collided. You know, running each other in the outfield. And I got over near Al, I seen his eyes turning back in here. And that first day as a kid came to me, I learned how to depress his chest and use my hand as a bridge to get get his tongue back out of the mm-hmm. stoke until the trainer get there. 
And I got uh, one of my best war uh, in my rec room at home that, uh, that from the Heart Association about saving our K-Line life. And I tell people I got the best autograph in the world, <laughs> and it'll go in my grave with me. Got Alkaline teeth mark yep. on my wrist. Yeah. And by the way, there were a lot of people who were panicked at that moment, too. You know, you're trying to get somebody out there who might know as a trainer, but you got, from what I understand, you got over there really quickly and you assessed that whole situation. Well, everybody in the ballpark thought, thought it was me hurt because when he came down, back down on my hand, I let it all hang out. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, the, the other thing that I do want to ask you about, uh, you mentioned Billy Martin in a second, but I think Bill Freehan is one of those guys that I think he's another one of those guys. Look, everybody knows he was a very good player, but probably not talked about enough. When you have a pitching staff that's good enough to compete in 67 and good enough to win it in 68, sometimes you better mention the catcher a little bit sooner than people might want well, to. People don't realize how great Bill Freehan was. Uh, that You know, he had about 12 All-Star games. Mm-hmm. And go he hurt his back, he was head of, head of Johnny Bench. And I'm, I'm I'm surprised they don't even mention him right now. Never. Today. You ain't gonna find catchers deal with Bill Free, and he got about twelve. He played. I guess I bet he was in twelve All Star games yeah. or more. And uh, and uh, but me, Billy Free, and go back nine and ten years old. I, I know. met him in Detroit, so. Maybe I'm a little prejudiced when I talk about Bill Freehan should be in the Hall of Fame. But, well, uh, he's not talked about but, enough. You you guys played but, on the Sandlot national team, did you not? Uh, we played in the Sandlot. Bill used to come up from uh, from St. Petersburg in the summer and play summer baseball. And I met him, and he lived in Oak Park. And we played in the summer league and against each other. He was a league ahead of me. and and uh, But then, I, then they picked me up one year when they won. We won the national championship in Altoona, Pennsylvania, Bay Ruth League, Billy Royal uh, League, and, and class, I think it's Class E. Uh, and, and and we had to beat Eddie Brinkman and and uh, and Pete Rose, that group out of Cincinnati, the kid in 1959. They won it the year before in 58, and we beat them. And, and guess who was pitching on that team for uh, uh, for Pete Rose them? Was that? Uh, Habacek, a great Hall of Fame basketball wow. player. Wow, and yet he's from the hometown of Phil and Joe Necro as well. He's an exactly. Ohio guy. Exactly. Yeah, yep. exactly. So, so whoever imagined that from that <laughs> team, we all went on and played professional sports. That's crazy. In, in, in pros. Yeah. So, but uh, we've been very blessed. I've been very blessed through my life and the uh, people that I've been surrounded by. And, and, I, and I guess what got me through the hard time when, you know, after my – Second kill his operation. They told me I'm, I probably wouldn't play no more. But I, from the effort of these people I'm talking about and the fans, I played 14 more years. How important was it for you to not have your career end when people were saying, oh, well, there goes that. Second Achilles, he's, he's well, done. Well, that's where Ernie Banks came. I mean, uh, uh, Hank Aaron came in my life. He always called, somebody can take this game, snuff this from you, but the man upstairs. Ernie Banks, I mean, Hank Aaron, and introduced me Hank, uh, Ernie Banks and all these other guys gave me support in the American League because at the time, it was, the league was still tough for us presidents. Mm-hmm. And I think probably me and Tony Oliva probably the only stars mean you don't see newsreel on us. And uh, But I used to get phone calls from Hank Aaron all the time, and this one of the things he told me when I got hurt, I reached out to him about my son. He said, hey, it's how much you want it now. You don't let nobody tell you what God give you. And so what I did, I motivate me to go out and work at it, and I played 14 more years. Tell me about Billy Martin. Uh, Billy Martin, one of my 
favor that I'll say he added seven more years to my career, extended to my career seven more years. He came at the time that he was hard on me at the time. I remember Martin, we fired him. He flew in in Detroit and met me at my home. And he said, uh, you know, you've been BSing around the league. I've been watching you, how you've been playing, and you've been around these younger guys. And But that ain't going to get it on my team. If you don't do so, do certain things, you're going to get a lot of splinters you're behind next year. I said, what? <laughs> and uh, he said, let's go, play, go down the gates and shoot some pool. But but, but I think that, uh, he started out on a hard ship. Uh, I didn't like it. Began to end up one of my best friends in my life. And I had an opportunity to coach with him at the Yank, and I mm-hmm. learned how smart he was. Yeah, a lot this of pe- man know the, yeah. this man know the game in and out. A lot of people just think it's Billy Martin, a fiery guy. Um, oh no, he know this game. Yeah, he know everything on that field. I mean, one time he know when they mess with the home plate. Back then, years ago, man, they used to mess with the home plate, catching, caught who's pitching. And set up a home plate to catch guys who got good breaking <laughs> balls and throw your stride off at, at a hitter at the home plate. So, but 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 he know everything that move and still in sign. He he's the best in still in sign and know who trying to still sign years ago. And, but uh, but I remember one time in New York, I had to go give the sign from first base, scared the devil about. I had to go to Jim Michael and say, Michael. I know the sign, but I didn't know him like Gene Michael did at third base. <laughs> so, <laughs> so with the Gene Michael, I had to learn to give the sign because I think we was playing Baltimore, and he said we've got somebody picking up our signs and stuff. <laughs> but but this, this man know the game and know the game. He he taught me one thing about the game. Say if you got enough walk in the game, you can get you can win a game without even get hits. Mm-hmm. And and they taught me and that taught me how to it told me about hitting years ago. That's the same thing I tell hitters today. I said, take the switch that around. You should always watch how how the walks go in the beginning of the game as you say you batted third or fourth. It's set up how you hit in later innings when the game's on the line, you know who's coming out the bullpen. So you don't know you don't need no book or somebody going in your back pocket see you you know all of that before you leave home. So all them <laughs> things came that I learned through my life, and Billy Martin enforced that and improved that as I came a coach with him and been around Ricky Hennis and them guys. And Ricky taught me how to become a better coach at on base, how to watch certain things for him to help him steal bases. Tell so me. I'm saying, so that's what you learn from Billy Martin. Your mind always be open to learn each and every day. Tell me about Ernie Harwell. Best. <laughs> I don't have the words for him. This this man, Ernie Howell, make you think you got a million people in the park every game because he. Uh, I used to want to say, he said this guy from Sagan all caught this ball. I said, oh boy, Ernie is very smart. This boy from Ipsilanti caught this ball sitting in the court. I said, boy, he know everything in the ballpark. But he was he he, he but he was a people person. That he took me as when I had to go through some hardship in my early in my career, and he helped me get mold me and get me through this. Uh, that he helped me uh, when I had a precious time, the first four or five years with the Tigers. You know, I couldn't do things. It took me to his home and eating spring training and taught me, he introduced me to Bob Hope, which I still work, but do military work with Fort Bennett right today. Uh, but 
Hank Greenberg taught me, introduced me to Hank Greenberg, that Hank Greenberg got me where I understand things that I had to go through, how they treated the Jew before they, a little worse than they treated the black at the beginning of baseball. So, but I'm saying all of that, it helps me get through where you go out and try to make it better for everybody. You're going to be in Lakeland. Ernie Howell, he always, I don't care if you meet Ernie Howell a hundred times, he always puts something on your mind when you walk away. Well, and, and listen, Al Kaline, Mr. Tiger, no doubt about it, but Al Kaline once told me that Ernie Harwell was the guy more than anybody in the city of Detroit. Oh, I'll tell you, no, no, you can say no better word is that. But yeah. that, but that's what Ernie did. He, he just, because I've been fortunate to be around like people like Ernie Harwell, Mr. Illich, and mm-hmm. Al Kaline, Judge Keith, and all of these great people in my life. I never forget that, and I thank God today for the great memory that he won't let me forget all of them people that helped mold me uh, with our compass in life and thank Hank Aaron for help me learn to live my lifestyle on and off the field with ideas. How many years, Lakeland, Florida, and Willie Horton, how many years have you guys been together? I think, whew, I think this is my sixth or second year coming down here. Uh, I know it is over 61, so I came here, I was 17. It's a really incre- it's a really incredible town. I, I've said it really has become my favorite well, town in Florida to go Lakeland, to. I loved it. When I first got here, it was one red light. Mm-hmm. And that's when I told you I had to walk from downtown to Tigertown because I couldn't ride no white taxi. And I thought they were playing a joke on me. Uh, but I saw that town grow to the smallest, beautiful city now. Mm-hmm. And it's spread it out now. It's beautiful. And all through the years, you've seen all of this happening. Things is a lot of great people during that time, like the uh, the owner of the of the pubs helped me give me a meet, and I used to cook to bring people together in spring training. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and Joe DeMarcus, Phil, and uh, Mr. Jenkins, and and them two guys. See the stature of them two guys helped me for part of Willie Horton life. That I remember we we helped. Uh, integration, the first black, uh, a hotel to live in Holiday Inn so we can stay together. Mm-hmm. And we used to cook in front of the hotel for not only for the players, fans, and and that helped bring that city together. Yeah, it, it's what I really found so impressive about Lakeland. There's so many Northerners, uh, people from Michigan and Ohio. Exactly. And what happened, what I noticed down there, Willie, was how many men were veterans. They'd have their World War II hats on or their T-shirts, Korean <laughs> yeah, War T-shirts. Yeah, a lot of veterans. And that's just my life. And, uh, and Lakeland, you know, is, as you've seen through the years, it's Polk County, biggest county in Florida, and it's, it's growing, and it's one of the biggest development in the whole area of Florida right yep. now, Central Florida. All right. The reason I wanted to call you, there were two things I did want to ask you as well. you okay. got to tell me about the closing of Tiger Stadium. You 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 played in Sandlots, really in the shadows of Brick Stadium. Then it becomes known as Tiger Stadium. Tell me about the closing. I think it's 1999. Well, there's something touchy. You do your whole career there. You're playing strikeout on the wall, and end up saying K-Line, he came up when he was 18 years old, and you kept out there and played so many years there. That was I didn't have the words. I very got very emotional that last day of Tiger State. And, and like today, they build that old ballpark to Willie Horton Field of Dreams. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's just it's, a lot of great memories, and it's very emotional. But, it, but it's all about fans. And, but all of this... But coming up taught me how to live my life through the fans that the best 
that was the best friend I had as a professional guy in sports. When you learn it, go ahead. No, when you looked around that night, though, and you realized who's there, former teammates, guys who played before you, guys who played after you, that that was a hell of an impressive, uh, a hell of an impressive oh, night. You, you had a, you're showing your, you're showing the, the past, present, and the future. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Austin, I remember Austin, he run the home plate. To Comerican Park, mm-hmm. people forgot that. Yep, and he came to manage down the years ago. People don't realize that he, yeah. he, he he's a young man who carried a home plate, running to Comerican Park where he built Comerican Park. Well, it was it, look. There's video out, out there, and it's certainly you know Trammell and Whitaker at the end, but Eldon Auker and Ernie Harwell and you and Al and it was a really Ooh. look. It let the people of Detroit know how lucky they had been in terms of. Not a ton of championships, but certainly some great players and great memories in a ballpark. That's, that's true. That's true. And, yeah. I, and that's what I get back to Mel Smith. If Mel Smith was a Billy Martin, uh, we, I think we should have been in the team we had, the dynasty we had as a team, we should have been in three World Series. Mm-hmm. But it didn't happen, but it it brought a lot of fellowship and friendship throughout life. And where we all, like today, like uh, Jake Wood, our first black uh, player that came through the organization uh, got him back involved with the Tigers in the last 15 years. He's still part of our life, uh, but that's 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 what life is all about. And and you look back and you write history according to about two people. And then it's, 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 it's and 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 I tell people you you're not complaining. You're talking about the past and make the future better for the young people behind us. And there is a difference in how you approach that and the conversations that could and should be had. Now, you are very proud and rightfully so of some of the things that are named for you. Uh, monikers, you mentioned Fort Bennett. You certainly have talked about down in Florida. But you also have a statue and your number in Comerica. Now, what is strange about that is you're not a Hall of Fame player, and a lot of times you better understand the significance that the organization thinks that much about you to make sure that they've marked those places for you. Well, I tell people... Uh, not in it, I'm not in that Hall of Fame and, and never uh, thought about it. Along with your peers, know what you did on the field and know what you did off the field as the people. And and I got some things that Hall of Famers don't have. You know, and I go overseas. I got things overseas. and uh, But I'm just proud of the era I come through. And, and, and I remember uh, my son was telling me what Ernie Banks told I mean, Hank Aaron told him he worked for the Braves and, and how Ernie looked up to me, what I accomplished in life. And, you know, you don't, and, and, and your preparation is right there with the best. But, you know, you don't, I don't look at I never thought about it because always there's certain games you should have. But then you look at certain preparations, I'm right there with a lot of them. But, but you know, along your period, like yourself and your family and other people as you travel, I, like I, I get on the plane now, and I, it's just like an autograph show through the years. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm, I'm and not only here in the state, it's overseas and through Bob Hope, I travel overseas a few times and, and I continue going overseas doing things. So I've been blessed. So, so well, I'm not taking anything from anyone. I remember about two years ago, I remember Perez, we were walking. And him and uh, 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 Dave Winfield said, let's go around here where you at. <laughs> and I said, what you mean? He said, you have to go on this ball. I said, no, you, them guys, as long as your peers know who you, what you did, yeah. and see, things like that would make you feel proud. Yeah. Well, look, the other part is you decided to stay in and around baseball for a number of reasons. You love the game. You want to see young players get better. 
but I think you thought there was a higher calling in terms of messaging. Is that fair? That's, that's true. You know, I've been blessed. Uh, I stayed out of the game a while and, mm-hmm. and came back. Uh, then through Miss Dillage, I, when he was hiring me, I've been back with the Tigers over 20 years now. And, and I've been doing okay, you know, and, and I thought he was interviewing me. I thought he was talking to my son Al about the interview because he knows the Illich family and the stuff like that. And he said, I'm talking about you. I said, oh, man, I got a problem because I said, well, I got to go home now and explain to my wife. And stuff. But we, we, we didn't want to go back through this BS in baseball. And, and he said, wait a, wait a minute. I ain't trying to change your mind or anything like this. He said, but. I'm going to give you an example. It ain't baseball. It's the people in the game. And it never will happen. You never will have to go through this as long as I own this team and my family. Well, and you can always have freedom to speak your what you your mind on it to help. Because he know my heart is about do well for all people. Right. He didn't just want Willie Horton, the guy who used to play for the Tigers. He wanted Willie Horton, the man. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I, that's one reason I'm back and I'm thankful. And I had a, you know, it, it, because he said, no, I'm going to tell you, I ain't trying to change your mind. And the only thing I miss right now has been part of this. Me and him used to walk through the neighborhood from Warren all the way to the ballpark or go down Wolper to the ball and round the ballpark, see how people feel. And that's I now still do that. I walk from one level to the ballpark. I try to do like now. It takes me a little longer now. <laughs> I go over and talk to the usher, the ground crew, and everybody. So, cause, and, and that's what life is about. It, it, it's sometimes we forget. And people help you get where you're at, and sometimes they feel that you leave, you forgot about them. Well, well, you also listen. We don't. I don't want to necessarily dwell on this, but you lost your parents. You were still a fairly young man, and yeah, oh yeah, it's, it's 1965 over in Puerto Rico, and Roberta Committee went me up and told me a New Year's morning that my parents got killed in a car wreck, and so it's just. Uh, and I think uh, Mr. Camel and Charlie Dressen, the first two people in Gates Brown, I met when I got home. And I remember Mr. Camel told me, you can have this year off if you want. I said, no, my dad wouldn't want that. <laughs> right. And, and But, again, you're, you're still a fairly young man, and you needed people. I, I think part of what happens is, whether you think about it consciously or not, I think certain moments happen in your life where you go, what did people do for me? And then you sort yeah. of reflect on it, and then at a certain moment you go, I, I, I don't want to express it this way, but I do think I owe something to somebody because somebody yeah, did yeah, me a yeah, solid. Well, you, you figure that you owe it to life. Yeah. You owe it to a gift by giving it back. It ain't none of mine to keep. And you're sharing the wealth with others to make it better for them. All right. Last thing for you. How would you like people, when people think of Willie Horton, how would you like people to think of you? I like them thinking as a man that left everything on the field and in professional sports you learn to live on the field and off the field and I learned to live my life through the fans and, uh, and I've been blessed and, uh, I, I gave it all and uh, as as a person that uh, I took hardship and tried to make it better for people behind me. That's a great way to put it. I will also tell you here's how I look at people such as yourself. Not only did you play the game, but you watched the game. Not only did you walk around the ballpark, but you walked around with your head up. There are certain people in life who I think walk with their head down. It's fine if that's their personality, but I think there are certain people who walk around with their head up. They become observers. They become people who understand a little bit of what's going on outside of their tunnel vision. And listen, at times, athletes can have tunnel vision. But if you, if you can turn to your left and turn to your right and see what's going on with your fellow man and find out what's good about them and, and maybe what maybe could be worked on, including yourself, I think those are people who 
at some point you hope they're in a business like this where young guys, 20-year-olds, 18-year-olds, 22-year-olds are around to hear a little bit of what life used to be like, not as a history lesson, but to understand that what you have now better be appreciated because there were people before you who didn't have it. Exactly. That's true. And to get to know your next door neighbor. Right. Good call. Well, Willie, listen, this was tremendous. Again, when you're in Atlanta, we will definitely get together. If I get an opportunity to head down to Florida, I will absolutely give you a quick ring. I'd love to grab lunch or dinner. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Willie, have a really great... Give my best to your family. Thank you. You too, Willie. Take care. And there's Willie. Very emotional about this ballpark in this city. His parents were killed early in his career. They never got to see him make it to the World Series in 68. I think he's going to take a victory lap. Of course, he made that tremendous throw to home plate in Game 5 of the series, making Lou Brock at the plate, turning the whole thing around for the Tigers. And he's feeling the emotion right now. That looks like Don Wirt. Willie Horton is feeling the emotion right now. Look at Willie. Look at Willie. Willie used to throw barbecues on an off day in the summer for the stadium ground crew. That's the kind of guy he is. And you wonder why a place can be that played here their whole careers or most of their careers. It's very special. Just They don't have the appreciation for, for being in one place, for, for growing close to the fans, and certainly when you win uh, World Series championships and other things, it helps. But. Willie Horton, number four, all-time on the home run list for the Tigers. K-line number one, Hank Greenberg, Norm Cash, third, and Willie Horton, fourth. I saw thinking about my first contract, and then I saw thinking about getting off in Lakeland, Florida, and I had to walk seven miles to Tiger Town. And as I look back and flex back to that, I look at that was one of the best walk I had in my life. Then I look back and I start thinking about it. I said, boy, you came a long ways from the project. Been 21 kids in our family, been the youngest. And I said, you came a long ways. And so I think about I've been blessed with a beautiful wife and been blessed with 19 grandkids and 10 great grandkids. And that's what we try to pass down.